Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you all here today. Uh, please do have the Bible open at Luke chapter 1 so we can follow along. Uh, if you want to use the sermon sheets, there's plenty at the back. Uh, you can grab a pen as well. Uh, let's pray, shall we, as we start. Loving Father, we do thank you for your word uh, that we can come to this Christmas time and uh, find things to rejoice over. We just ask that you'd be with us this afternoon, that you'd speak to us through your word uh, and encourage our hearts, we pray. Amen. Where do you stand on the most important debate of Advent? I say most important. Uh, when do you put the decorations up? Are you one that goes really super early because you want to have it up for as long as possible? Are you someone that tends to maybe wait as long as you possibly can because they get in the way or whatever reason you think? Or you're somewhere in the middle? Everyone has their view, don't they? Their, their opinion on when the perfect time to put their Christmas decorations up uh, is. And this year, I noticed that, that actually I think be, they were going up uh, around our streets. Uh, we saw them in, in our neighbours' houses earlier than ever before. Even before the start of Advent, which, is, which was in November this year. So sort of mid-November, we saw trees going up. I thought, well, that does feel a little bit early. Maybe, you know, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe they, 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 they needed that. And I think there's something to that, isn't there? That, that this year in particular, I feel like people have, have been desperate to find some hope, some joy... Uh, and it's a way to do that, to look forward to Christmas by, by putting up the decorations. Something to maybe lift us uh, in these dark times. I mean dark because physically it's dark outside, isn't it? But also recession looming and just it feels like a difficult time uh, with dim prospects for the year ahead. I guess the question is, does it work? Does it work? I feel like the more people build up Christmas Day and look forward to it and it just goes past so quickly and it doesn't quite deliver what they hoped it would left feeling a bit flat perhaps I think even the best Christmas day it's never really going to give you what you need if it's just about the presents and the family and the food I guess in some sense we feel well, it should be different shouldn't it for us as Christians we know the Lord's and Jesus is the reason for the season as, the, uh, as that slightly cheesy phrase goes and yet sometimes you think maybe we're in the same boat, do you think sometimes we struggle to find that joy maybe we, we, we end up Celebrating like everyone else and, and, and missing something, perhaps. Well, that's why the good, the good news is that we come to God's word together and we see lots of reasons to rejoice. Deeper, richer reasons. That's what we're going to be thinking about this evening, this afternoon, as we consider Mary's story from Luke chapter 1. Uh, because that's the key thing we see Mary doing in response, isn't it? If you look at verse 46, in Mary's um, song as it's titled... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Her spirit rejoices. She is thrilled. She's excited about all that God is doing. So I want to think about three big reasons why uh, Mary was rejoicing, and why hopefully we see they're good, good reasons for us to, to be doing the same uh, this year. So firstly, we have reason to rejoice because God blesses the humble. Because God blesses the humble. Uh, let's look again at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a, name, a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. If you're looking for a place of you know, real significance, real importance, real excitement, a place where you know, big things are happening, 
We might think of London, perhaps, or New York, or somewhere like that. Well, Nazareth was about as far away as possible from that sort of place. It, it wasn't anything special. It wasn't a place that people uh, respected or thought much of. Uh, in fact, Nathaniel in John chapter 1 says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That was, that was the kind of cultural expectation of, uh, of what people thought of Nazareth. I wonder what place comes to your mind with, with that phrase. Can anything good come from there? And yet, that's where God sends Gabriel to this insignificant place, to this seemingly insignificant person, this girl called Mary. Doesn't choose a queen in a palace. Doesn't choose even the daughter of a priest or, or something like that in Jerusalem. Just an unknown girl. And it's amazing, isn't it, when you read what, what it said to her. She is highly favoured. She has found favour with God. The Lord is with you, he says. And I think just how she responds is, is incredible, isn't it? I don't know how you would, if you were told, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. I don't know what your reaction would be to that. Maybe just we couldn't even comprehend it. And yet she, she seems to take it in her stride somehow. She says, well, well firstly, how? I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen and that, that's explained. But then she says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Isn't that just beautifully humble? Just says, what? She just said, yeah, let it be so. I trust you, God. I trust that your word is going to be fulfilled. Real great example of faith. And we see her going off to, to visit Elizabeth, maybe to see if it was true, see if Elizabeth was pre pregnant. Maybe just to talk together and have someone to talk to about these things. And we get this amazing moment, don't we? When uh, Mary arrives and greets, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. is leaping for joy, uh, even in the womb, because of this momentous, world-changing event. And then we get Mary's own words, kind of articulating that response uh, to, to all that's happened. Uh, we've... we've I started by reading a couple of verses. Let's read on a little bit more. Verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on all generations will call me blessed. Uh, a picture went viral a while back. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, of President Obama fist bumping a kind of custodian in a government building. Uh, and it was just a sort of a quick snap, but people thought, that's great, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's acknowledging people that maybe you wouldn't expect him to. And it isn't, we like seeing moments like that, don't we? Like uh, when the King and, and Prince William sort of went to the queue as people were queuing to go and see the Queen lying in state, and they went to say thank you to some people, and it was, it was unexpected. You didn't expect the King to go and do that. When we see people in power kind of being mindful of others, it, 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 it's, it's something good. But that surely it's so much greater and better, isn't it, when we see that happening with God. And Mary says, God has been mindful of me. He has looked upon me with favour. He has thought about me. He sees her. He knows her situation. He knows her humble state. And however small she might feel, she knows how valuable she is uh, to the one who made the world. That's amazing, isn't it? She is, she is special to God. All generations will call me blessed, she says. Now, I went to Catholic school for a couple of years, 
uh, in sick form. And sometimes they'd start the day with Hail Mary, uh, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women, is what they would say. I'd always be a bit confused, to be honest. Uh, but you've got to wonder, have they got the right idea here? Is that how we should be treating Mary today? Should we be praying to her? Because all generations will call her blessed. That's not the point of this passage at all, is it? That's not what's going on here. And I, I'm sure if we went and spoke to Mary and told her what people were doing today, she'd be like, what? Why? I'm not the great one. God is the great one. God's the one who's done this. He's the one who needs the glory, not me. He's the one who, who, who hears us and hears our prayers. He's the holy one, not me. Yes, she's blessed. And what a privilege it was to bear the Son of God. But there's, we, what we see is her humility here, isn't it? That's what shines through. That's what brings the blessing. Not, not her own kind of greatness, her own holiness. She recognised that is, that's God. The, real, the reality is she probably had very little. She probably knew real hunger, real poverty. And yet she sees this incredible blessing in what God was doing. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. That's a challenge, isn't it, for us who have so much? Does it tend to get in the way of us realising our need, realising that, that spiritual poverty that we have, our need for God's? Isn't it a privilege for us to, to know God? I've pointed out, haven't we, that the people who are great for some reason, you often notice because of their distance from other people. It's hard to go and see the President of the United States or, or the King or someone like that. There's security details. You've got to go through safety checks. You've got to make sure you've got an appointment. You've got all these things. There's all these gates and barriers and long driveways before you can get to them. And yet the greatness of God is not kind of in that kind of distance. It's revealed in his intimacy with us. How he comes to us. How he knows us. He cares for us. And that is staggering, isn't it? Just to, to reflect on those realities today. He knows the responsibilities that, that wear heavily on you. He knows the quiet disappointments that, that gnaw at you. He knows that the concerns that keep you awake at night. He knows your hopes. He knows your aspirations. He knows the things that give you real joy. He is mindful of us. He is the one. He has us in his mind. He gives us value. And that is wonderful, isn't it? Compared to anything the world might think of us, God is the one who gives us that value. I wonder if that does lead us to that same perspective as Mary. Does it lead to humility? Is that what kind of is that thrilling our hearts this afternoon and leading us to rejoice because actually all we can do is come humbly to him we need to do that don't we we need to recognize our spiritual poverty before we understand the riches of god's love and grace we've got to understand how much we need him before it really all starts making sense and that's what we need to remember as we come this christmas time we have nothing nothing at all and God sent his son to give us everything. The baby inside Mary had come to die on a cross, to, to, to remove our sin from us, to take the punishment completely for our, our sin and our depravity, to leave us forgiven and loved and blessed. And Mary was humbled at the thought of this. We see her describing God my saviour. Now she didn't know, I'm sure at that point, what this would cost 
the child that, that she was going to bring into the world. And yet, she knew he was coming to save. And we know that now, don't we? We know what Jesus did for us. How could that not bring us to our knees? How could that not humble us and bring us low? Because we did nothing to deserve that. We, we have earned that in no way at all. Jesus is the one who has done it all for us. We fall into that trap, don't we? Sometimes we, it feels like we somehow deserve it or somehow we've earned God's love and favour in some respect and we can think we're better than other people. Mary knew she'd done nothing at all to deserve this mercy and kindness. That's why she rejoiced. And if we really get that, if we really get the desperation that, that without Jesus, we have got nothing. It's, it's, it is desperate. That we deserve nothing from God. Then we rejoice when we realise the great blessing he pours out on us. Thanks to his love and grace. Not, not that we deserve it, but because he cares for us deeply. He shows us that love in sending his son. So that's my prayer for you today. That as you realise the depth of that love afresh, it would lead to rejoicing. It would lead to thankfulness this Christmas. Because you're precious to him. You're precious to your heavenly father. And that should give us joy, shouldn't it? That we are forgiven and loved and part of the family. Now, I'm speaking to Christians there. I'm speaking to those who have chosen to fear him and commit their lives to him. And if you've not done that, then why not today? Maybe today is that time to, to, to recognise you are that humble state that, that you, you can't save yourself, that you need to come to Jesus, uh, to confess your sin and find forgiveness and hope that you can't find anywhere else. We have reason to rejoice today because God blesses the humble. And also because God is mighty and merciful. He is mighty and merciful. We get both of those in these verses. We see God's might and power, don't we? Verse 32, Jesus is described as the son of the most high. Coming to reign, we've got this great and mighty uh, king coming. In verse 35 it says, the power of the most high will overshadow you. It's going to, will, will cover you. Verse 49, Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me. We see God's mighty power at work here, don't we? This is not just a sort of twee story for, for nativity plays. This is God acting decisively at the right moment to save his people. It, it points us back to maybe the Exodus. We, we looked at that as a church, didn't we, earlier this year? Look at Luke 1.52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. That's what we saw in the Exodus, wasn't it? He scattered the proud. He brought down rulers. He brought down Pharaoh. He brought down the Egyptians and he lifted up the humble. Those who were crying out in need, the, the Israelites who were in slavery and delivered them to safety. And that is exactly how God works throughout history. He humbles the proud and he lifts up the humble. He favours the poor. He favours the unloved, the unexpected. And we know, don't we, that no human kingdom, however strong it might seem, however dominant, it will not last forever. And it's staggering to think God doesn't, God is looking for the humble, the, the poor and the unloved. And he goes after them. He takes, you know, what humanity thinks are the best things and he brings them to nothing. And he raises up the humble and the poor. Which means the same things that will happen to us if we're proud, 
if we're arrogant because of the things we've done and, and who we are, what we've done, it won't be long before he humbles us and brings us low. If we're rich in kind of worldly terms and we don't recognise our spiritual poverty, our need of him, it's no surprise, is it, that we get sent away empty? I think there's a challenge here for us to think about whether we really treat God as the mighty ruler of our lives. We live in a very comfortable world. It can lead us to looking to the wrong things for security. And it can leave us feeling empty. Because actually when life is good and comfortable and con we're content, we fall into that trap of thinking, maybe I don't need God. Maybe I don't need to worry about that all that much. Maybe I'm strong enough on my own. Maybe I'm mighty enough on my own. And we're not. <laughs> God is the mighty one, not us. This song teaches us that yeah, it's, it's not about fitting God into our own kind of set of preferences, our own felt needs. It's recognising he's the mighty one. He is the king of all. He's the one we need to turn to. And actually he helps those who are humble enough to go, do you know what? I haven't got it all together. I haven't got all the answers. I am struggling. I need help. And God says, here I am. Here's my strength in your weakness. His mercy comes to the forefront, doesn't it? Verse 50, verse 54, he remembers to be merciful. His strength and his might is shown in that mercy that he pours out on us. His forgiveness, his grace towards us, making us his children. So if you're feeling empty today, if you're feeling cold, if you've woken up to the fact that you've been chasing after the wrong things, come to the mighty God in repentance because he is merciful. When we humble ourselves, when we recognise our sin, when we recognise it's only God that can give us anything, he comes, he lifts us up, he leads us to rejoice, he gives us fresh thankfulness and hope. Uh, because of who he is, because he loves us and forgives us. We have reason to rejoice today because God is merciful and mighty. And thirdly, we have reason to rejoice because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. We see that at the end of these, this passage, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Now Mary was an Israelite. She was descended from Abraham. She was part of God's chosen people. She would have grown up knowing the promises of the Old Testament, being taught them. Promises like the one in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and hold, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All the way through the Old Testament, this is what God says to Abraham's descendants. I am mindful of you. I, I remember you. I will fulfill the promises that I have made to you. Just uh, imagine for a moment your parents promised to take you away on your dream holiday. I don't know what your dream holiday would be, but imagine what that would be, and they're going to take you away on your dream holiday. And you're excited, and you're looking forward to it. You can't believe it's going to happen. 
and then months go by and then maybe years start going by and you're saying have they forgotten is it ever going to happen and then one day it's 3 a.m and you sleep and the door opens and their suitcases are packed and they wake you up and say it's time right now we're going on on, on holiday let's go I wonder if that's just a little bit like how Mary felt when she realised that these promises of God, the promises like the one I've read from Isaiah 9, she was part of that coming true. Her child was going to be that fulfilment. He was going to be born to save and born to be king forever. That's what the angel says to her, isn't it? He will be the son of the Most High. He will have the throne of his father David. He will reign forever, just like it said in Isaiah. The angel saying, it's coming true. This is going to happen. That is amazing. That is amazing. And that is that, that, that's true for us today too. We can rejoice today because we are loved by a God who is so loyal and so faithful to his people. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is faithful even when we are not faithful. It's amazing news. And Mary rejoices because she knew she could trust God's promises. That's what she talks about. She's, as she says, says these words, she's pregnant with the Son of God. And she says, she, he remembers to be merciful. Now Luke wrote this uh, book for a Gentile believer called Theophilus. And as this book unfolds, we realise that these promises, they're not just for, for Jews. They're not just for, for Abraham's descendants there, but they're for everyone who believes in Jesus. All of God's people, the church today, made up of people of all nations and, uh, and, and all nationalities. That means we can rejoice too, that God is merciful and mighty, that he blesses the humble, that he keeps his promises. We can rejoice because of the certainty of these things. They are certain. Here's just a few promises here that we can know and rejoice at because they are certain. Acts 16.31 <laughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You trust in him. You will be saved. There's no doubt. Hebrews 13.5. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Once we belong to him, nothing can snatch us away from that. There's that promise. Hebrews 9.28. He will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Jesus will return. You see, promises like that, they should lead us to rejoice, shouldn't they? Humbly, like, like Mary. Who are we? Who, how do we deserve promises like that? God pours them out on people like us. It's staggering. It should bring us to our knees in, in adoration and praise. If we, when we recognise we've got nothing, we recognise he gives us everything. And he doesn't turn away from us. So there you go, three really good reasons to rejoice today. I'm sure there's lots for us to look forward to over Christmas, whether it is good food and, and good friends and family, maybe even good presents. We can enjoy them. We can say thank you to God for them, but we mustn't make them more than they are. We mustn't think that they deliver what we really need, which is the love of God. That's why we need these deeper reasons for joy, don't we? It's so important for us to remember that, that when we come humbly, to the mighty and the merciful God, 
We know he keeps his promises. We know he gives us certain hope, grace, mercy, forgiveness. I hope hope that's helpful, particularly if you're aware that this season is going to be tough for, for any number of reasons. Whether you feel far from joy because you're exhausted or you're aware of the pain and hardship that you're going through. I believe that if we grasp these reasons to rejoice, if we get these, there's a deep joy we can feel, even in the hard moments. Even when we don't have that big outward happy smile thing, we don't have to put a mask on and pretend everything's fine, but even in the hard things, we have this deep reassurance in the midst of the pain and the tears that that he knows us, he cares for us, he has acted to save us. And I've found that to be the case when Pippa and I have been through the toughest moments of our married life and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do and all you can do is is, is is weep and yet you remember that despite the brokenness of this world that you feel so much you remember he is worthy of our, our worship he's worthy of our honor because of who he is because of his might and his mercy and his promises how he will make everything new and there are moments of tearful joy where you're, yes, you're, you're experiencing pain and, and difficulty, but you have something inside that, that won't, you can't let go of because you know God has you in his hands. I hope you see that possibility in what we've been looking at today. They led Mary to rejoice. I hope they lead us to rejoice as well. When we pray, ask that, would be, ask for, that God would work in our hearts. That would be the case. Loving Father, we do thank you so much that we can rejoice today. We can, we can thank you and praise you because of who you are, because of what you have done, because of how you have shown such love and mercy to people like us. Would that bring us together as a church family this Christmas, remembering our need of you above all else? That, that without you, we would have nothing. We'd have no hope. Would you... Would you thrill our hearts would you give us joy whatever we're experiencing uh, because of your promises because of your your goodness because of your might and your mercy and keep us humble we pray amen